0: Hello, it's Thursday, November the 11th, a very poignant day, of course, it's Armistice Day. And this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming, as ever, from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up, what do you think Adele, the singing superstar, has put her divorce down to? It's all to do with astrology. Apparently, yeah, I raised my eyebrows too. On the economy, we're just now a little bit smaller in terms of the size of the economy than before Covid. And in politics, more pressure for the Conservatives as polls suggest the row over Sleaze is really cutting through with voters. Of course it is. But first, he's been described as the world's greatest living explorer, famously the first man to walk across Antarctica. I'm joined by the legendary Sir Ranulph Fiennes. Sir so Ranulph Fiennes, described as the world's greatest living explorer by the Guinness Book of Records. Famously the first man to walk across Antarctica, unsupported. He climbed Mount Everest at age 65. The list of records he's broken goes on and on. He's now talking to audiences across the UK this autumn about a life lived dangerously. In fact, the tour is called Living Dangerously. And he joins me now. Sir so um before I ask you about your extraordinary achievements. You've written a book, Shackleton, about Ernest Shackleton's uh, dramatic experiences. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, there have been a lot of biographies about um, Scott, Captain Scott, who first selected Shackleton out of many naval officers to be with him on the first penetration of the unknown continent and didn't even know that Antarctica was a continent back then. So that's how Shackleton came on the scene under scott's shadow but he lasted longer than scott in some countries like america and uh, that's the case but of all the biographies about both of them they've been written by people who might have been in inverness at minus two degrees centigrade but they haven't experienced the sheer hell that those guys did scott you know died of it a horrible yeah. death and attempt yeah. with his friends and Shackleton if he'd been anyone else would almost certainly in my opinion have died but his optimism and his cleverness and his behavior with the 28 people who were depending on him day by day for 500 days floating around beyond human traffic no chance of anyone rescuing him no chance of any sort of radio message going through and Anyone else, I think, the whole lot would have died. The fact that his rescue journey was described so well um, enabled me with my own experience of similar floating around on ice floes 900 miles from anybody uh, for months on end. Um, Whereas most biographers, you know, they plagiarise previous biographers, but they don't know how hell-like it actually is. I say that's what
0: why this book will come to life. Uh, the Shackleton's extraordinary 1915 expedition to the South Pole. You've had some pretty extraordinary expeditions yourself. What is it like when you are cut off from civilization? You feel you are on your own and perhaps you dare to think you're maybe not going to get out of this. Or is it that optimism which Shackleton had, which you've had, Sir Anup, that's kept you going when it's been pretty dark out there?
1: Yeah, he had it much worse than we've had it but we've had gangrene we've had teeth falling out left right and center we've been shut off we could call it a lockdown for eight months in uh, 700 miles from any human being including a doctor or a dentist and outside temperatures down to minus 50 knowing that We've got 200 yards of tunnel, in which case we've got nine months of food in box numbers because we couldn't leave the food outside. It would disappear under tons of snow in no time, waiting for the sun to come back at the latitude we were uh, in Antarctica. And at that latitude, we had to wait for eight months, look after every aspect of our life, do scientific work for various institutions One of the people that I'm talking about who were in there in the lockdown for eight months was my late wife of 36 years. And uh, as a result of her work that she managed to do despite the blizzards and everything was into the ionosphere for Sheffield University. And as a result of her high success in discovering these things, like signals coming random down from the North Pole to the South Pole, She was made into, well, the first woman ever to get the Polar Medal from the Queen, uh, the first woman into the all-male Arctic club. Four months ago, the Foreign Office called a huge mountain in Antarctica after her, and that all took place in a lockdown, which was then repeated a year later up in the Arctic. And that was even worse, because we, we would be traveling over moving ice, moving over the sea, whereas at least in Antarctica, the dangers are just the crevasses and the cold.
0: And if you had to describe, Sir Ranulph, your finest hour in an extraordinary career crossing the Antarctic, the Arctic Ocean, the first to circumnavigate the world along its polar axis, you discovered, didn't you, the lost city of Iram in Oman. Which one would you pick, or is it impossible to do that?
1: I Well, since you ask, I'm going to have to give you an answer. Yeah. Um, and take it out of the hat. I think that because I was born with vertigo, And because I didn't get cured on Everest, um, and it took me three times to get to the top of Everest, so Mm. by the time I got there, I was an old-age pensioner. Yeah. And um, that was helped by trying to get rid of the vertigo. And Britain has two guys, wonderful guides, mountain guides, wonderful climbers, uh, Kenton Cool and Ian Parnell, and they agreed to get rid of my vertigo. Uh, but, and Everest didn't do it because there were no real drops. It was sort of the, you look down, you see a white shoulder, not a dizzy cliff drop. And so they said, oh, well, we know a place much cheaper than getting to the Himalayas. It's in the Alps. It's called the Iger, the north face of the Iger, 54 top climbers in the 1930s and 40s, when it hadn't been climbed, gradually got further and died. I'm talking about top climbers. 6,000 foot sheer drop so yeah they when i done that with them took three days and nights to get up this cliff and um that i think would probably be the scariest moment and in a way, the biggest achievement because of the fear of this vertigo.
0: Yeah, extraordinary. And what of now, uh, uh, Sir if your book's coming out, you're doing this um, lecture tour around the country. Are you planning any more trips or does your age, dare I say it, you're in your 70s now, does that um, militate against you embarking on yet another expedition? Depends.
1: If it's horizontal <laughs> and we're, we're, as always, we're toying with different ideas. Yeah possibly, but not always, based on our fear of the Norwegians doing a record that hasn't yet been got. Um, Partly based on that, what we do. But we are fully aware that um, climbing, as you get older, is affected by, amazingly, how much altitude does affect you. And Ed Hillary, you know, who was the first man up Everest, Within a few years, he couldn't get above 16,000, never mind 30,000. So, yeah, that does affect. And I, after Everest, I w- went to do an easy one, which is just to walk up Aconcagua, the highest mountain in South America, and tried it twice, and both times the altitude got to me. And just after, I'd done Everest and the highest mountain in Antarctica, which is called Vincent, Mount Vincent. Where did you get
0: this um, a spirit of adventure from, this explorer's curiosity? Where did it, Were you born with
1: it, do you think? I think that must be the case. DNA from my granddad and my dad. My dad was killed four months before I got born, uh, fighting Rommel in the desert and mm. later uh, landing in Italy, leading his wonderful tank regiment, the Royal Scots Greys. I think from dad and before him, my granddad, um, who was brought up in the next door farm to... Churchill, before Churchill was anything at all and the two of them as teenagers were in the TA, Yorkshire Yemenry together and they both fought against the Boers and the Zulus and you know the Khartoum character um, yeah so they had a very adventurous youth both of them but whereas Grandad ended up being Governor General of Antigua uh, Churchill was a bit more sort of the you know, ish than that
0: Yes, it certainly was. Um, could I ask you as well, Sarana, if I know you're very aware, like your friend David Attenborough, about the impact of climate change on the environment. You've been to the Antarctic. You've seen the impact of climate change. D- d- are you disappointed? Are you pleased? What, what's your reaction about the, what, what the Prime Minister has been doing at COP26?
1: Well, I, you know, I think that he's done his best and he can't change his character Um, You know, so if he's a bit clownish from time to time, he has, him and his close band of MPs have really tried hard to make an effect on it more than Paris was whenever that was. And it seems every now and again, depending on which newspaper you read, that there might be a reasonable effect in having had it and that it wasn't a wasted opportunity completely.
0: Yeah, and we do hope that China and um, the United States are going to do something together on methane, and that's presumably because they've met each other at COP.
1: There is that faint chance, but um, I have to say, you know, having fought the Soviets back in the 60s, um, I didn't like them and I don't like the Chinese man. The Chinese people are okay, but Mr. Xi or whatever, he is quite clearly out to command the world. I'm afraid he is. Uh, now, you,
0: your, your book, we hope, will command the world. It's called Shackleton. It's about Ernest Shackleton's dramatic 1915 expedition to the South Pole and its remarkable escape. And you're starting your tour, Living Dangerously. You're going up and down the whole country, are you, Sir Anulph?
1: Yeah, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, yesterday, right, uh, all over the place
0: that's the fines the great saranel fines do buy his book uh do try and get on his tour living dangerously i think the daily mail will be at one of his talks that's for sure that's the fines so visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to the andrew Pierce show for free and in full and of course all our other podcasts and our video series remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play daily mail news So the Prime Minister is still refusing to say sorry over the Westminster sleaze allegations, with the former Attorney-General Sir Geoffrey Cox now reported to have missed more Commons votes after a business trip to another tax haven, this time in Mauritius. The Prime Minister at COP26, in front of the world's Corps of International Journalists, insisted Britain is not remotely a corrupt country. The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, couldn't resist intervening and said today that the government has got to do a lot better. How damaging is this going to be to Boris Johnson and the Tory government in the long term? I'm joined now by Joe Twyman, who's the co-founder and director of Delta Poll. Joe, there is evidence, isn't there, that this is really beginning to cut through or already has with ordinary voters?
2: Uh, well, certainly in the short term, that uh, that appears to be the case. Over the last few months, there has been a trend towards narrowing of the lead between Conservative and, uh, and Labour, but certainly since these... Uh, since so these events kicked off, it appears that, that trend has accelerated slightly. But the question, of course, is not whether it has an impact in the short term, but whether it has an impact in the long term, given that the government has a large majority and potentially three years until the general election. And on that, it's difficult to say whether individual incidents like this have an impact, though I imagine they probably don't. But more widely, there is a question about uh, whether they build up a sort of a narrative, if you like, of of, uh, corruption and dishonesty that then plays very badly with the electorates, potentially at the uh, the ballot box.
0: the, The idea of headlines about Tories and sleaze. Uh, it, it it's, it's the nightmare in Downing Street, isn't it? Because we all know in the 1990s, uh, Joe, John Major's government was always going to lose to that young, telegenic Tony Blair. But the welter of sleaze allegations and cash for questions probably contributed to the size of Blair's huge landslide majority.
2: Yes, that's right. But the situation was slightly different then in that it was all wrapped up with the uh, with the back to basics campaign, that the uh, conservative right. government yeah. under John Major had launched. And so there was an element of hypocrisy there, whereas with this, yes, it's uh, it's the latest in a series of uh, in a series of bad stories for the government, uh, but it's not as if Boris Johnson has preached. Uh, repeatedly about uh, about shall we say sexual fidelity or uh, or behaving uh, behaving well within the family uh, and so it is a it is a different situation uh, different situation there and we're in a different situation with politics generally and uh, and politicians themselves and the political class generally are judged uh, more harshly and are viewed less well uh, than they were back in the, the 1990s.
0: But in the past, Joe, uh, Boris Johnson has been the original Teflon politician. Nothing has really seemed to stick, whether it's marital infidelity, rows over who paid for the wallpaper in the Downing Street flat. Uh, and although he personally isn't involved in uh, any sleaze allegations here, it was Boris Johnson's government's decision to try to change the rules uh, in the Commons, which would have effectively lifted the suspension of a former cabinet colleague, Owen Paterson.
2: Yes, that's right. And although he's not uh, he's not involved this time, he has, of course, uh, been involved in uh, in um, in questions about uh, questions about sleaze and corruption regarding alleged uh, alleged situations with Jennifer Curie and his relationship with her when he was London Mayor. And so this is uh, the latest of those uh, of those questions that have been raised for uh, for him. And he will, I'm sure, do his best to, uh, to bat things away and uh, to hope these problems go away. And as we have seen, they have, to some degree, gone away previously. Uh, and, and indeed, a lot of the coverage that, is, uh, that has come up this week has not, for instance, mentioned Jennifer no. Curry, uh, despite the uh, spoiler the relevance there. Uh, but we've seen everything from, uh, from Dominic Cummings and Barnard Castle to, uh, to these recent Revelations, and none of them have had a long-lasting effect. I mean, if you, if you take the counterfactual and think, okay, well, what if none of those had happened? Would the government's position in the polls be significantly different? I'm not sure you can say that it would.
0: No. Uh, and, and just finally, Joe, looking at the polls, the fact the Tories in one poll certainly went, had fell, fallen behind Labour by one point or something. It seems it's the Tory party support has gone down. There's been no appreciable rise either in Labour Party support or in personal support for uh, the Labour leader uh, Keir Starmer, who, of course, has had issues of his own to answer because it has emerged that he, uh, he's earned more than £100,000 on the side as a lawyer uh, before he became leader of the opposition.
2: Well, so, certainly, so far this does appear to be a hit to the uh, to the Conservatives rather than a gain for Labour, and that's really to be expected given where public opinion has been really for a number of years now divided along the lines of Brexit uh, and all that uh, and all that entails. And so, if you're a if you're a Leave supporter, uh, you're unlikely to be turned off the idea of uh, sorry turned on to the idea of voting for a Remain party. Because of uh, because of the behaviour of someone in the government, you might decide not to vote for the government, but actually crossing that boundary is still a step too far for many.
0: All right, that's interesting. That's Joe Twyman, who is the co-founder and director of Delta Poll. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Toryboy Pierce. Time now for our regular city update with Hugo Duncan, who is, of course, Deputy Business editor at the Daily Mail. Hugo, the economy, well, it's smaller than pre-COVID, but not as small as perhaps we thought it might have been.
3: Well, that's right, Andrew, yes. I mean, obviously, the economy suffered an appalling shock in the last um, 18 months or so. Indeed, last year was the worst for around 100 years, with output falling by some 10% or so. But it has been steadily, with a few blips along the way clawing its way back and as of the end of september according to official figures released today it is just 0.6 percent lower than it was before covid struck before the level it was in february 2020 which means perhaps we are in touching distance of a full recovery
0: and when before COVID struck, the economy was doing pretty well, Hugh.
3: It was. It wasn't growing quite as quickly as it, it, you know it might have been, but it, it, it was it was on a steady upward path. Boris Johnson had just won an election. There was talk of more um, public spending, lower taxes, and yeah. so on and so forth. Things that might have given um, the economy a, a, a bit more energy at a period where really it still hadn't really fully um, re- recovered. It wasn't still it wasn't firing on all um cylinders as it had been prior to the financial crisis the hangover of the, of the financial crisis still existed certainly in living standards if not perhaps in house prices which were going great guns but obviously um the the, the covid um, outbreak completely um sent uh, the economy in, in into a tailspin and the recovery has been uh, has been tough it's had its ups and downs but it but, you know it has the economy has been steadily steadily improving the big question of course is what happens from here yeah. and while growth in September what was um strong and a bit stronger than people thought over the third quarter of the year as a whole which was the July August September period it was quite a bit slower than it was over the previous 3 months in fact the economy only grew by 1.3% in that in that third quarter it it had grown by 5.5% mm. in the second quarter now the fear is that despite a strong September things are going to slow again in the coming months the big fear being the big the big threat i suppose being um inflation and we know that prices are rising everyone knows that in their weekly shops they certainly know it in their energy bills and when they're filling up their car with diesel or petrol um so how much will that eat into people's um into family budgets how much will that affect spending how much will that slow the economy at a time of course when business is facing higher prices and also disruptions to the supply chains about mean, say, mean that yep. manufacturers are struggling yep. um, and so on and so forth so th- th- there are there are concerns about the at- outlook indeed interest rates might have to rise to, to bring inflation back under control um so so where we go from here is, is the big question now
0: all right that's hugo duncan who is of course deputy uh business editor at the daily mail thanks for joining us so the superstar Adele, and she really is a star, isn't she? When she put her divorce down, or as a factor anyway, to Saturn return, more than one or two people raised an eyebrow. I was one of them. In astrology, apparently, it's a time of upheaval, when the planet Saturn returns to the position it was in at the moment you were born. It happens around the ages of 29, 58, and then, if you're lucky and you're still here around 84 but can you take advantage of saturn's return i'm joined by the astrologer and best selling author yasmin bolland uh, yasmin is it common for people to uh, if they particularly if they follow astrology if there is a major change in their life at the time of saturn return to put it down to that
4: yeah i mean you know andrew Saturn return is probably one of the best-known astrological phenomenons um, alongside Mercury retrograde. And it's a really, really big deal. There's a lot of other things that go on in the chart. You've got your Uranus square, you've got your Jupiter return, all these other things. But it's Saturn return, Saturn's return. It's so big because Saturn is such a heavy, jetty planet and it tests you. So when you're born, your Saturn is in one particular place and it keeps going. And as it goes around your chart, it triggers different parts of your life, like your love life or your finances or your career or your ability to communicate with other people or whatever. So by the time you get to about 29, you've been tested in every single part of your life. And it can be a really, you know, intense reckoning time because if you've been kind of slacking off and cutting corners and, you know, generally not doing what you know you should be doing to be the best person you can be and to fulfil your soul's potential, then Saturn, Saturn's return time, which as you said happens sort of around about the age of 29, can give or take, uh, is really a time where you get your butt kicked if you're if you've been kind of slacking off, basically. So yeah, it's it's a tough time. It's an important time,
0: and and it's it's often described, isn't it, Saturn as the great teacher of the zodiac, the t- the serious taskmaster that really challenges people.
4: Yes. So Saturn, you know, a lot of people see Saturn as old father time. I see Saturn as the crone, uh, C-R-O-N-E, which is, you know, a woman a, a, a woman who's older and wiser and or with all due respect doesn't really care what men think anymore, you know, because we've got the maiden, the mother and the crone paradigm. And, you know, the maiden's beautiful and lovely and flirts and the mother's all about the kids. And then the crone is the wise woman who kind of got the wisdom. And, you know, once you get to that stage, once you have your Saturn return, you kind of come face-to-face with this wise old woman. And and she reminds me of, um, you know, the teacher at school. I think I actually even put this in the article. Yeah. Uh, The teacher at school who was really kind of tough on you, but because she saw you had potential. And so she whipped your butt or she wrapped your knuckles because she wanted you to live up to your potential. And that's kind of what Saturn's like.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering of what, how Saturn affected me when I was 30 because that was a lot of upheaval for me, I have to say, if I recall. Um, and, of course, Adele, um, I, I, I don't know. I didn't know that she was particularly a follower of astrology Yasmin but she clearly is because she did say of uh, talking of the breakdown of her marriage which has been well documented she said she cited Saturn Return saying when that comes it can rock your life it shakes you up a bit
4: yeah I mean the thing is with Adele I think I saw that mention of Saturn Return I mean I know it was in the, the Vogue article wasn't it yeah but I'm pretty sure I even saw her talking about it as well in one of those snippet interviews they released and I think it's almost certain that she has an astrologer that she, you know, relates. She consults. To and talks to a lot. Yeah. And yeah, consults. Thank you. Yeah, she lives in LA, so obviously it's wall to wall astrologers over there, and she's obviously got herself someone who's um, guiding her, which is really important because you know, like if we all had astrologers. <laughs> We would be better off. There's a reason why kings and queens used to have court astrologers. Yes, it's,
0: yep, they, it's you true. Know, the
4: astrologer, the astrologer, will have said to Adele, "Listen, Adele, you're about, you know, you're at the top of your game, but you're about to go through your Saturn return, and that is a really important time in your life. So, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? So, she's obviously, you know, she's got all the money that she could ever want, and I'm sure she can afford to have a, an on, on tap astrologer that she consults. So, lucky her."
0: Yeah, now, and of course, in your piece, you say, forget turning 18 or 21. In your view, Saturn return is when we finally become adults. So you say to people, don't get married before your Saturn return. But how will they know when yeah. theirs is? How will they know when theirs is, um, Yasmin? Exactly.
4: Because it, cause it okay. will vary, so won't it? it yes, yeah, so it's about 29 to 31. Right. You can obviously, you know, you, find, you can ask an astrologer. We're all over Facebook these days. You can come and find me on Facebook. I will tell you. If you right. ask really nicely, I will tell you everything. Yeah. I'll have a look at the chart. But basically, between 29 and 31, yeah, I always say to people, you know, don't get married before, especially don't, like, don't marry anyone who hasn't been through their Saturn return yet because they don't really know who they are. They don't really know what they're made of and you kind of need to get through that to really start to become an adult because you know like I said 18 and 21 you kind of think I'm no longer a child but really astrology shows us we're not really grown up till we get to our Saturn return
0: fascinating now what would you say to those people who say oh what's she on about astrology it's all (laughs) it's all for the birds what do you say to them to those doubting Thomases Yasmin?
4: Oh God, Andrew, I learned a long time ago not to uh listen to the doubting Thomases. I just leave them to think in their own mess as they, you know, ignore all the wisdom that the heavens have to offer us. Right. I'm not I've got I d I have got i do not have time to try and convince people. Test it out, you know, be my guest and you'll see it works.
0: Well that's Yasmin Boland and she's got a website, so do find it and she will help you out with Saturn's return. So it's a fascinating concept and I do find the whole thing really interesting that's all we've got time for today for the latest from the daily mail download the mail plus app every weekday at 5 p.m you can listen to me all over again i'm andrew pierce this is the andrew pierce show i'll be back tomorrow have yourselves a great evening
4: and good night